Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast can now be heard on the Farm and Rural Ag Network, along with other great shows like the Shark Farmer Podcast, the Future of Agriculture Podcast, the Farmer and the City Girl, and the Grow Smart with BASF Podcast. So please check out the Farm and Rural Ag Network at farmruralag.com. Our guest today here in Ontario is Kevin McCarter, a cattle auctioneer with Brussels Livestock and a beef farmer slash cowboy. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Kevin, you come highly recommended. Ken Shouse says that you're a great guy and very knowledgeable about the beef industry. When we asked him for guests, you were at the top of his list. Doug Helm said that we must be getting pretty hard up for guests. Yeah. Well, like I said before, that's uh, two guys at different ends of the spectrum. Uh, I appreciate both their comments for sure. <laughs> okay, so where, where are you today, Kevin? I am uh, sitting in my yard at my uh, cattle barn and just not too far at Exeter. So Exeter is Huron County for people that don't know the area. Huron County is just south of Bruce and Bruce and Huron make up a big chunk of the feedlot business here in Ontario. Correct, correct. Okay, tell us about your operation, M&R Farms. M&R Farms, uh, well, I have a great, uh, I have a real good banker, so to say, um, and he is my partner, John Riesenberg. And uh, John's a uh, big business owner and a land man. He owns GMR Electric and Mechanical in Exeter and uh, owns, oh, 5,500 acres around the area. He's been a well-to-do guy. He's a hard-working character, and uh, him and I started the summer of BSC. Uh, I hate to remind everybody of those times, but... Well, just for people that don't know, what year was that? That was 2003. 2003, when when the U.S. border slammed shut to Canadian cattle. Correct. And the cattle industry has never been for the faint of heart. Never been for the faint of heart, and it's kind of never been the same either, that's for sure. It's uh, It's been quite a roll, but that summer we started with, I believe it was 50 cattle, and two and a half, three years ago, before the big crash here, we were at 2,200, so... We grew and grew, and besides doing this, I have a full-time job at Brussels Livestock, and it kind of encases a bit of my time. So it's been good. He's a he's been uh, he's a learning guy. You know, he supports me uh, quite well, and uh, he helps. You know, he likes to get out in the tractor, and we do a bit of cropping, but not much. A lot of our cattle are custom-fed, but I do look after a yard here on my own that it. Takes a bit of time, as as everybody knows, farming is not for the faint of heart. So, but I enjoy it, love it. So we're not talking about cows and calves. We're talking about feedlot cattle. Right on. Yeah, we uh, we finish everything here. So uh, everything that comes to the yard, I look after. Uh, I get them going and get them started, and where everybody knows that's that's work. That's you know, even like the cow calf guys, the uh, calving time, uh, feathering out of my cap to them for. I know that's that's not for me, so I'll take this on and get them going, and then they go on to our guys that finish for us. Sometimes this is a little work too, but I enjoy it. My wife wonders what I'm doing all the time, but uh, she was a city girl or town girl, I should say, in Exeter here, and we're married 23 years now, and she's just starting to get a grasp on it. Well, she's probably realized that without without the cattle, you'd be messing around in her business all day. Yeah, right on. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd be cleaning or something like that that I'm not that good at. And now, do you, where do your calves come from? Where are you buying calves for your feedlots? 
Well, uh, I buy. I have an I have an order buyer, a good friend of mine, Donnie Schuldice. He buys for me. He gets westerns for me. He buys in the country. And being as I'm employed at Brussels, uh, our stalker sale on Friday, I'm always picking away at something. And uh, if I don't buy it for myself, I have orders. Uh, we have a fairly staunch uh, Mennonite uh, community up there at Rocks that are just uh, north of Brussels. And I cover some of that area. And if I'm not buying for myself, I'm buying for orders that I have. So Okay, so just to cover off a couple of those things for people that, that aren't in the beef business or don't maybe know when you say we buy westerns when people think of the the canadian beef industry they're often thinking of of western canada ontario has a feedlot industry that would be small compared to what they do at west and most of the cows and calves here in canada are out in in western canada so you would place an order for cattle coming from saskatchewan alberta correct yeah, and Manitoba, the three provinces there. I've even had them from BC, but that's a quite a trek. So uh, we try and stick to Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. In defense of that, like when you get the cow calf guys, we have we have some great herds of cows down here too. So we will support them uh, in numbers for sure. And quality always sells. Yeah, as an auctioneer, I, you know people always say, "How are my cattle going to sell?" And well, if, if they're good ones, they're always going to bring the top money. So typically cows will have a calf and then and then that calf stays with the cow while they're out on pasture for the summer. Correct. And then once that calf is weaned, they get loaded on a truck and sent to a feedlot. Right. Or a background or whichever. We we buy a lot of six-week calves that go to be background until they're, you know, 9,000 pounds, 900 to 1,000 pounds and... And then they move into the feedlot. So just depending, uh, one time we had 14 or 15 different feeders uh, feeding for us, and that's probably small to some of these other guys that are doing it. But, you know, it's 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 a lot of work keeping track of all that and numbers and trying to figure out gains of when the cattle are going to finish. Everybody's a different feeder, and it's been challenging, but it's been rewarding, and, and I enjoy it. So if it's not broke, we're not going to fix it. Tell us about the ride that these cattle take coming from Western Canada to land in a, a feedlot here in Ontario? Well, to give you an idea, I, I have got uh, voted on to the Livestock Markets Association of Canada as a director, and uh, we've been dealing with this issue um, here in the last 8, 10 months. They're trying to lessen the, the hours on the road for cattle, and uh, I flew out to Winnipeg here oh, a month and a bit ago, almost two months here in a couple of weeks, but... We were trying to deal with that and uh, trying to come to uh, a solution. As everybody knows, it can be, I think it's 48 hours on the road. They wanted to lessen that to 36. And, you know, Ken Shows is a great advocate for our industry, and he, and he puts video after video after video on Twitter and Facebook of his cattle coming off the trucks in great shape, fresh, you know. And I do. I have the same here. Only I'm too busy counting to to <laughs> run the video camera at the same time. And like I said before, I use the same phrase: if it's not broke, why are we fixing it? Like CFIA ha- has a mandate, and they're listening to the people that don't like our egg business, and we have to. I don't want to say fight back, but we have to gain back our voice and. You know, tell these people, show these people that things are okay. Like I said before, if it's not broke, why are we fixing it? And it's a question of if there's people that have legitimate questions and they want to know how their food's being raised, that's one thing. But when we're talking about onerous regulations 
and regulations that aren't required, we do have to push back against that. And that's why it's important to have the groups like you're talking about that will work on behalf of farmers in order to make sure that we are able to continue to grow affordable, economical food for the consumers. Yeah, that's correct. You know, a lot of these people in the West that send cattle this way, they're not paid until those cattle are delivered. And, you know, if, if the cattle come off the truck looking terrible, then these people don't get paid. And so you're going to do your best to get them down there in great shape. they got to be loaded right. Everything's got to be right. Lots of straw, lots of room. And these guys have been doing it for years handle thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of cattle. They know what they're doing. So give them their leeway. Let them carry on. As if raising 1,800 head of cattle wasn't enough work, you have another full-time job as an auctioneer. Yeah, I do. Uh, I've been at Brussels now for, uh, it's going on 17 or 18 years, I believe. And I grew up in that place as an 11-year-old kid. I started way back with a guy by the name of Bruce McCall that time I was chasing pigs because I wasn't big enough to be amongst the cattle, but in a year or two I grew a couple inches and somehow got over to the cattle barn. Yeah, and I stayed there till well, 16 or 17, I guess I got, that's when I got smart, isn't that when teenagers get smart? But I uh, moved on. I'll, I'll to, let you know if they ever do. Yeah, right, I got two girls, so yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, and they're good girls, but anyway, I uh, moved on to B&M Stalkers and Feeders, I guess, for a year or two stint with Bob Mater and the gang down there. It was all processing and, you know, moving. We moved a lot of cattle back in those days. Then got, I was a hockey player too, and I got moved down to Exeter here. Uh, a buddy of mine, we played OHA Senior A Hockey, and there's a lot of traveling in there. And this is Wait, this is for my friends in the, in the U.S. that don't understand what junior hockey means here in Ontario. Senior hockey is a step past, uh, you're only allowed to play junior hockey till you're 21, I believe, is your overage year. So uh, senior A hockey is for the after, the guys that still have the, um, how shall I word this, politically correct, and still think they got it, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it's a, it was a big deal back, you know, that's 25, that's 30 years ago, so it was a big deal then. That's where I met my wife. I played hockey here and, and moved away from Brussels then, and it's kind of funny. I lived in Brussels and came here, and now I live here and go to Brussels. And but, were, were you a finesse player, Kevin? You know what? Uh, I had a guy once describe one of my junior coaches described me as agony and ecstasy on the same shift. I could put a puck in the net, and the next breath I could take a stupid penalty. So One of the stats that hockey players keep now, I don't know if they did when you were playing, but amongst goals and assists, penalty minutes per game. Do you know happen to know your penalty minutes per game? I had a few, but I I wasn't as bad as Doug says it was. Oh, so it wasn't you weren't you weren't upwards of ten minutes a game then? No, no. I might have been six or eight. That depends. Like if I had a good game I'd probably have zeros. But there was the odd occasion when yeah, I had a short fuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kevin, give us your best auctioneering. Try and sell me I don't know, try try and sell us your pickup truck. This is that's the toughest thing. Everybody, I go uh, a bit <laughs> traveling, and uh, people say, "Can you auctioneer for me?" Well, that's the toughest. That's the toughest thing to do. But uh, I sell cattle. I can't sell pickups. Okay, right? give us sell us a steer. Sure, sell us a steer. Okay, uh, fat steer, stalker steer. Let's sell stalker steer weighing oh about eight hundred and fifty pounds. So, all right, how many dollars? What do you give here? And the middle town. What do you give the middle town? Give eighty five, eighty. 
Okay, you better you better you better sell it now, Kevin. Awesome. You're gonna send me a bill too, I know you are. We can do that. And if you've ever if you've done any of the auctioneering at the Ontario Cattle Feeders. AGM, you know what a disaster I am at a at a charity auction. I've bought more stuff that I really don't need. Whew. Well, that's uh, you know that's always uh, I do a lot of them, and it's always a great entertaining time. I, and I my wife will say to me, are, "Are you nervous?" And I'll say, "No," but you always get a little nervous until you get the first two or three. Even every Friday, I sell cows. Tomorrow, Brussels, we have fats and uh, cows, and I'll sell cows so you get two or three through and. You uh, you know it's either going to be a good day or a bad day. Like just like anything else, you you'll have days that you couldn't pull me out of that seat, and there'll be days I can hardly wait to get out. So yeah, and it's not easy. You've got to you you've got to be on. You've got to have the energy up, and you've got to get people into it. Yeah, you do. And uh, you know, since I came back to Brussels, uh, oh, when was that? Ninety nine, I guess. I got a call from Donnie Schuldice, and he says Gamble's looking for an auctioneer. You better give him a call. So at that time, Len Gamble owned it. So I called, and I was to go up on a Tuesday to try out. So I went up, and there was three of us. There was the first guy went in, and, and then the second guy, and then I went in, and. After I was sitting there, he says, "You stay. You, you know, if you know Len, he he, he talks to you. you. He's got a real bit of a stutter to mm-hmm. him. So he says, you 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 stay in there and, and get them other guys the hell out of there.' He says. So I knew I I had kind of uh, hit the hit the nail on the head there. So I've been there ever since. I I love it. Like I said before, I started with McCall Bruce McCall. Oh, you know that's back in the seventies. I guess be was born in '67, so be '78 or '9, and just so people understand kind of how farming works, Bruce was Ross's dad, and Ross Correct. is Matt's dad, and yep. Matt is probably in his mid thirties now. Yeah, I would think Matt would be somewhere in there. I'm not sure what he would be, but uh, yeah, Ross McCall, um, he probably won't want to take credit for it, but that's where I got my education. He's got a fantastic eye for cattle and. But anyway, uh, getting back to my story, uh, and so I've been with Gamble, what was it, 2012, Mark and Cindy Ferrero bought the business from Gamble as he retired, and, you know, we kind of kept on the same manner. Uh, it's it's tough, you know, to hit the road and get some business together, and then I not only hit the road and get the business in, I sort the big yearlings on Friday mornings, and then... Uh, we have another auctioneer that sells the calves, and then I go in and sell the yearlings in the afternoons. It can be, uh, Friday's our big day, and it can be a long, challenging day. And in the fall, I could get back to the yard here on a Friday night. It used to be 10.30 to 12.30 at night and do chores, but since I get closer to 50, I can get it slowed back that I can get away a little earlier and, and get to the barn and do chores a little earlier. But it's uh, it's been a great, great experience and a great run, man. Uh, it took me 25 years to get in the chair, so I'm not going to hand it over just without a bit of a battle. That's right. Keep your spot. Now, not all cattle go through an auction, Mark, but you guys play an important role in how cattle are priced. Yes, uh, you know it's it's true price discovery in the in the, the auction bar, uh, auction ring. You got two guys, three guys. Sometimes you get five bidding on the same uh, bunch of cattle, and you know it's it's true price discovery, and we cannot lose it. 
because uh, a lot of our business has gone to direct sale right now, and you know, it's uh, we when we had the 2,200 cattle, we we did some of that too, and I still sell fat to Brussels, so you know, it's true price discovery. It's uh, I like to work, I like to work for the best dollar. I get a little bit of scotch in me, so you know, <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta lubricate the machine, right? Right on, right on. You've been doing this for a little while, and you've gotten to be pretty okay at it. In 2015, you won the Livestock Market Association of Canada Auctioneering Reserve Champion. Right. Yeah, that was uh, that was a big deal. I uh, actually called home to my wife and said I'd done that, and she said, "Bull." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's a tough goal, you know. There's usually 25 to 30 great auctioneers from across the country, and you know, it's uh, like I said earlier. Uh, you know if it's a good day or a bad day, and I've met a lot of great people from BC right to uh, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, and it's been a great, great time. But uh, yeah, that was that was one of the highlights for sure. And then in 2016, you won the Jim Raffin Memorial Buckle as the most congenial auctioneer, which sort of doesn't line up with some of the stories you've told us about your time playing hockey. No, no, <laughs> that's right. It doesn't. Uh, that's for sure. But no, um, we uh, we hosted it last year in Brussels, and I tell you, it's uh, it was myself and Cindy and Mark were uh, were the host committee, and it's a, it's a lot of work. We had everybody involved, and we had a great run of cattle. We had 2,400 and some had a cattle, and and it was a successful event. They must have liked the way we looked after them, I guess. And you must have developed a lot of friendships and a lot of relationships in the cattle business across Canada. Yes, I have. I have, as you say that, I, I buy. Uh, we get one set of uh, ranch calves every year from a Hutterite colony. That you know, we somehow we cross paths in the way, and you know, we've been doing business ever since. And they send us great, great product, and we're happy. And and I meet lots of sales guys. You know, one of the most fantastic people in the business is the uh, the Canadian Ag uh, Angus uh, rep out in Alberta, Brian Good. And you know, I look forward to seeing him every year at the auctioneers competition he's such a a great advocate for our business and you know even even the auctioneers uh rob bergerman on alberta great great guy and and even in the saskatchewan with the parks and and rick wright in manitoba and you get to see, you meet all these guys and see how they sell and hear how they sell and you know it's like going to a farm show and you pick things up and add it to your repertoire and carry on yeah, it's been good. Even in 2004, I won the Rookie Award down at Olex, which was another feather in my cap. Oh, and Olex's Ontario Livestock has changed. When you're talking to people across Canada, and you're talking about sort of what challenges you're facing, what are some of the challenges that are unique here in Ontario that the guys out west might not have to deal with? Oh, weather, weather for sure. Uh, I always say like, we're down here in the toilet bowl of the Great Lakes. That's how I describe it. <laughs> It can be a beautiful sunny day one time and raining like crazy. You get two inches, four inches, five inches of rain. This winter has been hell on wheels, so to speak. You know, you get snow and then it rains and melts. And what, where we here, uh, BFO was plus, what, 18, mm-hmm. I think, down Exeter. And, uh, you know, as a guy starting cattle, it's that's a challenge. I like the weather out in the west with the dry humidity, and we we have we're such high humidity here that and fluctuation in temperature is like today. Uh, 
cattle are just kind of loafing around and and yesterday I, I broke out a bale or two of straw and I love to see the cattle run and jump and kick and carry on and today they're just hanging around moping it seems so yeah it's been a weird uh, a weird winter for weather for sure for sure now does that Canadian dollar fluctuation cause you much grief yeah it does uh, I, I, without a calculator around but uh, you know it fluctuates half a cent or three quarters of a cent cent and it does some of them packing companies that they'll like to pull back or add and it's almost a full-time job keeping up with market price and you know uh, my job's hard on Mondays because we go out and look for fat cattle for tomorrow and and you know to touch base with the packer buyer and say you know what's it going to be tomorrow well you never get a straight answer right but you always uh, hedge a bit and uh you know, my phone was ringing off the wall a bit there last week, which hasn't done in quite a while. So this live market could get a little strong here in the next week. Right. And when packers are looking for cattle to kill, they'll they'll have to bid a little bit more. But if they've got a whole bunch of stuff booked and your cattle are going through those days, you might get a little lower price. Right. That's right. Yeah. And you always try to plan to be on the top end, but it doesn't always work that way in this business. If you were right every time. You know, life would be pretty easy. Be a millionaire for sure. <laughs> I would have guessed, Kevin, that you had a pretty wide circle of friends and and people that you you like. But Doug tells us that that you your one true friend is really your dog Tucker. He's a blue healer and border collie. He's a good dog. He's uh, very obedient and uh, he helps me a bit around the cattle. Uh, not so much. Uh, I had a load of westerns come in one day uh, in the summer, and I processed them right off the chute, and, and he uh, was helping me, and he put one over the over the fence. So uh, from that <laughs> day on, he he stays in the truck if I'm processing. A little too enthusiastic there. Oh yeah, he's enthusiastic for sure. Yeah, they they say you, the dog uh, resembles the owner a wee bit. And <laughs> I've I've heard that. I've heard that. I had a big dopey yellow lab, so. <laughs> that might that might actually be true, yeah. Oh, I wasn't insinuating that at all. That must have been done. <laughs> uh, okay. What are your what is your outlook on the cattle business as we go ahead? Oh well, uh you know, we had we had Ann Lasco down uh for BFO mm-hmm. there a couple of weeks ago and uh you know there's she's uh kind of a market outlook uh, analyst. Yeah. But anyway, uh, numbers are looking like uh, they're increasing a wee bit and, uh, you know, putting going to put a little bit more beef on the market. But with lighter uh, lighter carcass weights, um, I'm hoping maybe, you know, it's going to hold a little bit, but it don't look good coming down the pipe here. So No, and that's, that's what consumers maybe don't realize is that the cycle goes up and the cycle goes down and it's managing the downside that gets to be a real challenge. Right, uh, especially with what we went through here, uh, what back last fall, that was that was a challenge. You know, every every animal we sold was between three and five hundred, five fifty going out on its tail. You know, that's that was a hard pill to swallow. Anyways, we made that before, so it kind of equaled out, I guess. That's where it's good to have a banker as a partner. Well, he's yeah, but he's an investor. He expects an answer, and he expects a little profit too. So. I think we're going to have a little struggle here, but, you know, there's some that think it, it could be a wreck, but I don't think it'll be that bad. And my experience with farmers is that they tend to be optimists, which is yes. which is good. Otherwise, it's not much fun getting up and going to work every day. The 25 years that I've been 
in this industry. We've seen a lot of changes, and I expect that we're going to see a lot of changes going ahead again. I'm confident that our producers here in Ontario and, and through North America are going to be able to meet those challenges. If there was a message you wanted to get out to the people that are buying that beef at the grocery store that might have questions about what you're doing on the farm, what would it be? Well, um, I belong to the cattle feeders, I guess, in Ontario corn-fed beef. And, you know, it's it's a double standard. We um, we plug our product, yet when somebody mentions cool, we go right off the deep end. So cool, cool is country of origin labeling. Correct. And, you know, it's, you know, I don't know, it's a double-edged sword. So I would say we have a good product here. You know, there's lots of verified beef. There's Ontario corn-fed beef. There's, uh, my brother-in-law runs a grocery store, and uh, I think there's a Sterling Sterling Pride or something. Mm-hmm. I think it's Cargill, and it's, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a beef connoisseur, so if, if I could get away with it, I'd eat steak seven days a week, but you know, get a little costly. But <laughs> there, there are other good cuts of meat, too. But, you know, get on with a good conversation and talk with your butcher and talk with your meat counter guy, and people have to get educated. There's, like I said, there's different cuts of beef. I, I've had a flank steak before, and it's a little tougher to cook. But it's got great flavor, and, uh, you know, uh, when you have girls, you kind of got to push the beef to them a wee bit, or else they'll get that other white meat that, you know, doesn't have any place at my table too much, maybe. Uh, Just for the the record, you're talking about chicken, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm surrounded by chicken birds here. I hope they can't hear me. Well, wait, tell us how you cook your steak. Rare, medium, what, what? Well, uh, when Heather and I were first married, it used to be uh, medium rare. Uh, she always used to get upset about the blood on the plate. Well, you know what? That was a bit of flavor to me, and now it's medium. I'll be 50 in July, and it's medium. At my place, every Friday night when I come home from the barn here is steak night. I'm never home at supper, so I get the barbecue rolling, and I might have a shot of rum. I'm a rum connoisseur, too. Uh, but anyway, a shot of rum and a good steak and maybe dip in the hot tub and that's my, that's my Friday. So, I don't know, I'd still be a medium, everybody likes beef tenderloin, I'm jumping around here, but everybody likes beef tenderloin, well beef tenderloin's fine, but a ribeye's got flavor, flavor, uh, a a T-bone's got some flavor, a strip loin, but... I'm with you, Kevin, those would be my three favorite cuts too. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I like that little medallion of fat in uh, my ribeye. Another thing, you often see my pictures on Twitter, and I've got two big jerseys running out here with my seven-weight steers, and uh, they go in the freezer. A buddy of mine introduced me to that, and people think I'm crazy, but it's got a different taste to it. I don't know, but I'll feed them. OTMs have no place at my place. I don't care. I'll I'll eat them. OTM and it's uh that goes in my freezer. The other Keller to make money, this is to entertain me. <laughs> but a, a jersey, you take the hide off, you can't tell the difference between a jersey and an Angus. Yeah, they they all look the same. Just depends how they're fed, right? Good. Well, anyway. Kevin, uh, we're gonna let you get back to processing or shipping or whatever it is that you're doing today. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. I appreciate the time. No problem at all. This has been the Ontario AgCast. Check us out at the Farm and Rural Ag Network. Sign up to receive notifications when there's new podcasts posted there. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. 
If not, we'll see you next time.